On this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast, Skywise's reaction to Tim Ayn's big reveal, Jink's fateful decision, and a deep dive on issue two of Stargazer's Hunt. Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the award-winning epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. My name is David Mizajewski, also known as my elf self, Thornbreak, and I've been an ElfQuest fan for over 30 years. So join me as we explore the adventures of the Wolf Riders and all of their allies and enemies on the world of Two Moons and beyond. Hey, hey, everyone. ElfQuest Stargazer's Hunt issue number two is finally out. And today we're going to be talking all about it, all about Timane's reveal to Skywise, Jinx's reaction, and of course, Skywise's reaction as well. But before we dive into that, a couple bits of news. The Complete ElfQuest Volume 7, which is the collection of Final Quests into one big omnibus edition book, is going to be out on February 26th directly from uh, from Dark Horse and in comic shops. And then a few weeks later, as we discussed on the last podcast, it will be released in other booksellers like Amazon, like Barnes & Noble, Kindle, etc. So mark your calendars, February 26th, the complete ElfQuest Volume 7 will be out. Um, and then a couple weeks later on March 10th as well. And, and one note about that book, this is going to be the first time that we are getting to see the Final Quest artwork in black and white. It's kind of interesting because it's a flip of the of the long-standing model um, back in the old days when ElfQuest was all published originally in black and white and then colored and collected in, in larger graphic novel volumes. Since Final Quest was published in color originally and has already been collected into four separate graphic novels by Dark Horse Comics, with the complete ElfQuest, since most of that series is in black and white, they have done a black and white version of the Final Quest. So definitely worth checking it out, if for no other reason than it's it's the artwork presented in a slightly different format. Um, so again, mark your calendars for that. The other bit of news is I encourage everybody, as always, to go to the ElfQuest website, which is elfquest.com, and check out the 2020 appearance schedule for Wendy and Richard. Richard has recently updated it with their known appearances for the upcoming year, and he'll be adding to it as they accept more invitations to appear at various conventions and other appearances. So, um, you know, bookmark that or bookmark the ElfQuest website if you haven't already and make it a point to check it out. Of course, the Peenies will share that information on Facebook and their other social media platforms, but uh, just wanted to call attention to it because they're going to be in a lot of different places. Some of the big cons, but some of the smaller ones as well. And if you want a chance to, you know, get to bring your comics for autograph and to chat with Wendy and Richard, and maybe even if you're lucky, get a, a picture with them, that's the place to go to check out and start planning now. So with that little bit of news out of the way, I am thrilled to announce my guest host for this episode. Michael McAdam. Hey, Michael. Hello. 
Michael, I'm so glad that you accepted my invitation. I know that you are a deep ElfQuest fan and you've been a fan for a long time. And why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself, your, you know, introduce yourself and tell us like your ElfQuest story. What did, what got you into it? What are some of the things you love most about it? Hello, my name is Michael McAdam. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a Canadian. <laughs> I uh, discovered ElfQuest in 1983 with the Journey to Sorrow's End novel. I really, really enjoyed that. I was uh, a D&D player at that time, and I loved elves, like Tolkien's elves and whatnot. But when I read this novel about this whole tribe of elves, I was just enraptured. And then there's this tiny, tiny little print in the frontispiece of the book that says, you know, based on the ElfQuest comic. So that's how I discovered comic stores. Um, so I went there looking for ElfQuest. And then I, uh, I got the uh, collected volume two graphic novel. That was my first visual view of ElfQuest. And I've been a fan ever since. Mine too, actually. My very first ElfQuest was the book two, the Donning Starblaze edition. And absolutely, yeah, it just completely sucked me in. I think it's actually kind of fascinating that you came to, to know ElfQuest via the prose editions. I mean, I think most people, that's not the case. Most people find the comics and then they discovered the, the, the book. So that's pretty fascinating. How did reading ElfQuest in, in, in just words without the pictures, how, I mean, when you actually got the comics and started reading it, like what was, what was your reaction to that? Do you remember? I remember one of my, the first things that I liked very, very much was that um, the characters, the elves were approachable, like from a mental standpoint, you know, sometimes Tolkien elves or D&D &D elves are sort of lofty and maybe a little too alien to really, really understand. But being able to see and read, you know, uh, what, like say what Cutter was feeling or what the tribe was thinking, you know. I, I felt very much uh, immersed. Uh, I felt like it was a part of something, like I could be a part of it. And so I felt very much a part of the story as they traveled across the desert. And uh, it, it just, it burned into my mind. And I said, if there's visuals of this, I need to see this. I need to know. And so what's great about that is when I did see uh, the volume two for the first time, the, I had no preconceived notions because the elves, to me, in the prose version, they were all feelings. They made me feel things, but I didn't necessarily nail down their visuals, uh, just sort of how they felt. And that, of course, carries uh, into the, or I, sh I guess I should say, the visuals carried into the novel. Because when I went back to the, the visual graphic novel, I'm like, these are perfect. Yeah. This is who they are. Yeah, and you know, Wendy did um, those fantastic illustrations for the novelization of Journey to Sorrow's End. I don't know if you remember, there, every chapter or so has, has like a black and white, very, very sketchy uh, pen and ink drawing, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not the same thing as, as experiencing it via the comic. You know, they're just kind yeah. of illustrations, and it's hard to really, I think, to connect characters from a visual point of view, so that's, that's pretty neat. How available was ElfQuest when you were growing up in Canada? I had to take a bus for an hour just to get to the comic shop because I lived sort of on the edges of my city of Calgary, Alberta, which, you know, it's not a small town. It's a big city. But trying to find a comic shop uh, when you're 14 and there's no Internet, um, you know, it's, it's almost like word of mouth only is, you know, you have to be in the club somehow. But there was this thing called the Yellow Pages. And so I used that <laughs> to find the comic shop and track down the one copy of ElfQuest that they had. And by doing so, that is how I discovered that it was an ongoing series. And I think Original Quest 16, you know, with Lita crying on the cover, that was my first ElfQuest serial comic. 
So you got to you you dove in sort of midway through the original quest. Yeah. So you got to experience the last part of that as it was published. That's pretty yeah. exciting because I yeah, myself um, didn't start reading Elf Quest until around 1985. So the mm. original quest had had just concluded the prior year, and um, Siege of Blue Mountain was about to, to kick off. So I've, I've always been a little bit jealous of folks like yourself who got <laughs> to really experience the original quest when as it was happening. All right, well, again, before we dive right into the issue, tell us a little bit about what you do and your work. Well, uh, my bread and butter job is I'm a flight attendant. I fly everywhere. So uh, secretly, don't tell anyone, I'm a glider. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Um, I also write comic books. Uh, I'm a Canadian indie comic writer. Uh, I write under the name Two Gargoyles Comics. That's twogargs.com if you guys want to check it out. That would be lovely. Spelled T-W-O-G-A-R-G-S.com. Uh, that's all my stuff there. Um, my work is heavily influenced by, of course, the comics I grew up with. So although I make a conscious effort not to be copying storylines in my head, sometimes I'm like, that is a line from ElfQuest. You need to edit that. <laughs> I can relate to that. In my own world, I'm constantly, in my brain, using quotes from ElfQuest in my internal monologue. So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Okay, so I have to bring this up, sure. and then we'll talk about the issue. Tell us about your viral video. Oh, <laughs> Um, if you guys have uh, seen the the funny flight attendant video uh, that went viral um, sort of last August, that's me. I'm uh, I am that guy. It it was just a routine day. I always do something funny with the safety demo because if you fly even once a year, you know you've seen it. You you know what the safety demo is going to be, and so people just you know they check out. They're like, I'm, I know what you're going to say, so I'm not going to pay attention. So I tend to really boost up the mime on it. I get uh, I get a little showy with it, um, even to the point of mocking, screaming as the masks drop, um, kind of thing. And people seem to really enjoy it. So I've been doing that for 13 years, and I, I still do it every flight, and people still enjoy it. So I, I keep doing it. And then every so often, somebody will video it, and it will just, it will just take off. I and that's it. happened twice to me. Yeah, I love it. No pun intended, take off, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope one day to actually be on one of your flights. I, you know, I fly a lot for, for my real job. So um, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I'll actually get to see it in person. But I will include a link to that in oh, the in the description of the show on SoundCloud for folks oh, yeah. that that you know want to catch it because it's everyone. It's totally worth watching. Just make sure you're not <laughs> drinking anything because you will spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's dive into ElfQuest Stargazers Hunt issue number two. It's been out oh. for uh, at the time of this recording for uh, almost two weeks and. You know, as always, I like to wait a little bit so I can absorb the issue and I can actually read what uh, all of you guys out there are thinking and writing about it on, on the socials. Um, it really helps, uh, I, I think, fuel the conversations that we have here. So why don't you start us off, Michael? What, what's your reaction? One of the things that has always struck me maybe most about ElfQuest when I first open an ElfQuest book is the color. My goodness, uh, that this first splash page with 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 Cutter, well, Tamane and Skywise colors, the dappling of the light, the leaves, the everything, the mood. I mean, it. You talk about hitting the ground running. You open this and you're just smacked in the face, and you're like, we have come in right at a pinnacle moment. We have begun 
at an apex moment. There's, there's none of this, you know, um, initial incident and rising actions. Like, no, wham, you're <laughs> in the story now. Are you ready? And so the color was the first thing that hit me. And then I slowly overcame the shock of the, that beauty and got into the, okay, no, this is a serious conversation. Here we go. Buckle up. Yeah. Well, Speaking of the color, that's definitely something I wanted to hit on. What a fantastic job that Sonny has done with the with the coloring to to give a sense of that this is a different place. This is not the world of two moons, especially the, the coloring in the sky as you go further into the issue as the sun is setting. It seems like the sky on the star home is just slightly different. It it, it it's it's it has notes of, of pink and purple in the sky. And so the sunset is almost like purple indigo and then red and it just just simple color choice communicates that so much about the story right it's this you know you really get the sense that this is a different place um and i, I think that's fantastic too and of course any scene in the woods where that dapple leaf shadow effect is oh, used yeah. yeah i just like i want to wallpaper my house in that <laughs> it's one of my favorite effects actually because and now I don't know if the if Sunny would say, oh, it's a simple effect to do, but it it's so natural, you know, and it looks like it's right out of nature. And so I don't know how complex it is to create, but man, does it ever put it over the top? Um, I want to draw a little comparison here between original Star Trek, like the '60s Star Trek series, and how they used color and lighting to achieve this a similar effect which is this is an important scene and it's a little bit surreal a little bit alien just enough for you to say i'm in some place special i'm in some place magical you know and it it I, it actually made me think of star trek when i saw this um but elf quest of course is fantasy and so when you're sensing that magic you're thinking anything really could be possible here it's just at the edges of our vision it's just at the edges of the panel. We don't know, you know. Like it, and I think you said in the last uh, podcast, you know, we're not seeing a lot of the world. The scenes are fairly tight, fairly close in. We're being given hints, and I think that's so effective, just so um, in, like fantastical in the true sense of that word. Uh, that that's a great comparison with the the old school Star Trek. I totally know what you mean, and I agree with literally every word that you just said. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why I asked you on. I knew you were going to have some amazing insights. Well, I think that you know the big the big thing plot wise, right? That mm. the issue kicks off with, as you as you pointed out, is Skywise's reaction to finally learning the truth about the the nature of the Tam to main connection, which, you know, since they don't do it in the issue, to, as you pointed out, just the recap is that that's where issue one ended with that cliffhanger with Skywise, you know, just finally accepting I'm not happy. I haven't connected with Cutter Spirit. Something's up that I just don't know. And he finally asks to He says, I'm ready. Tell me. And good old to just like she did with Cutter rips the bandaid off and lays it yeah, yeah. on. <laughs> so that's how this issue kicks off with this, 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 you know, this huge reveal. And, but mostly this issue is about Skywise's reaction to it. And oh, he yes. freaks out. Yeah. Yeah. Which and I think is, is a legitimate response, right? Yeah. And it's funny. Well, I shouldn't say funny, um, but it's interesting because you could say, wow, Skywise gets to have his cake and eat it too. Like, you know, uh, uh, Timane is Tam. Um, you know, he hasn't really lost anything except 
back in the last series, Cutter actually gets mad at him. He says, you just, you want, you want everything. You don't want to lose anything. And he, he, you know, he kind of pushes him away a little bit. It sets up not only that sometimes life doesn't give you everything you want, but it also lets us know a little bit about Skywise's character. He perhaps might not be as quote unquote evolved as some of the elves who are, you know, I can let this go. I can flow with this. I can, I can hum with this. This is the, this is his, his line. His relationship with Cutter is in a way set in stone compared to the otherwise very fluid lives of the elves. And he cannot handle an interruption to it or an alteration to it, even when Cutter was still alive. And I, I think that's quite a fascinating part of his character. Yeah, wow, that's a, a great way of, of unpacking it. Because I, again, I completely agree. It's like, you know, Skywise, again, is very young. They've kind of uh, underscored that, um, even mm. with the, the, the references to the fact that Yun is, is older than him, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I saw somebody make a comment in the Facebook discussions that, you know, on the star poem, Skywise is, is pretty much, you know, other than Sunstream and Jink and Citrika, they're the only ones younger than Skywise. And so, you know, again, at this stage of the, the, the story, um, and I know time is something that's being going to be explored here. Right. And, and I've seen Wendy and Richard comment about wibbly wobbly timey wimey, um, yeah, yeah. because, you know, we're dealing with different <laughs> you know, space and distance and all that science stuff that it's hard to wrap your mind around. But, you know, if you're, if you're going by world of two moons years, Skywise is, you know, 40, 50 years old. Like he's not that old in terms of, right. of, of, you know, elf experience. And so, yeah, in many ways he is very inexperienced, maybe a little bit naive, maybe not um, as mature as some of the other characters. And so his reaction is actually kind of very human, I think. Yes. Yes, you know, and I mean, I mean, we can certainly, all of us can understand it. We get that he's torn. We understand that. Right. Um, you know, there was a, a heart-wrenching scene in the last series where uh, Kimo, he's okay sacrificing his life. And here I am yelling at the comic, I'm not okay. I'm not okay <laughs> with you doing that, Kimo. But that was a great lesson uh, that Elvish, you know, like it's possible for elves to say, no, you don't understand. All of this is is transitory, you know, whereas we as humans are like, uh, no, I've only got like maybe 90 years or so and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep hold of what I can keep hold of. Yeah. But there's also a line in Original Quest which really, I think, underscores this. Uh, Skywise says to Cutter, I saw you born. When did you get so much older than me? So he acknowledges that Cutter has matured past him, sort of, at that point. Right. And, of course, the the, the, the Tomain connection adds a whole other layer of understanding to that. Because, oh, man. Because, you know, I mean, because he kind of is older than you on some level, right? I mean, the Tam part maybe isn't, um, yeah. at least not as a distinct entity, but connected with the other half, with the Tomain, eons old, right? Like, he who yes. knows how old, right? So that was a powerful line when it came out in the that original interpretation in the original quest, and it yeah. became even more powerful with that other layer of nuance with the Tomain connection. But but yeah, no, totally. And I love the, the chemo reference. I didn't even think about that, but, you know, chemo's line in Final Quest is, uh, and actually it goes even back to the Searcher of the Sword, I think. Dropping a life is, is no more difficult than dropping a feather. And yeah. the way you just interpreted that i think makes 
it's so easy to understand that for these ancient beings, everything is transitory, right? Nothing lasts forever, even their physical form, if they yeah. so choose, if they make that decision. And so, yeah, Skywise is definitely not there yet. And it'll be really <laughs> interesting to see where this storyline goes, right? Like, will Skywise come out at the end of this with that level of maturity and wisdom that some of the other characters have developed? Some of it's just by virtue of being ancient, others just because they have a different take on the world and and their experiences have led them to be more accepting and all of that kind of stuff. It'll be uh, really interesting to see Skywise's character development, which presumably will happen because this is an entire series about it. Yeah, well, the cover alone, uh, just uh, looking at the cover, I mean, in, in a way, it's kind of stark. Skywise is alone, except for um, our preserver friend whose name is escaping me currently. Thistlecap. We're going to talk all about Thistlecap in a minute. Oh, yeah, Thistlecap. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean... This is someone, a character who who has, um, you know, has been surrounded by others. He's been part of a tribe. He's been part of a pack. He has been, you know, he's been the 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 irreverent and sometimes wise counsel to the chief. But now he's alone. He is isolated on the cover. He is surrounded by magic and possibility, you know, which is you know his pod or whatever. He has a companion, but it's not an elf. He has left all of that behind. He has separated himself. And that's right there on the cover. So it's telling us this journey is his, both internally and externally. And what will it be? Yeah, and it makes me think of the, you know, sort of the classic hero's journey model that one step in that journey is, I think it's called going into the pit, um, where mm -hmm. you kind of, you're all alone. You're You have to face you know, your demon, if you will. And um, yeah, I think, well, and that's ultimately what happens in this in this issue. And again, there's a lot in the middle there that we haven't talked about yet, but ultimately yeah. Skywise takes off by himself, heads off in a pod out to who knows where. Really, I'm really interested to see what those next steps are. But mm -hmm. going back to the, the, the reveal, what was, what's your response to the way that Timane did it and how Skywise specifically responded? Like, some of the things that he said to her were, well, number one, he reacts with anger. And he yeah. says, you know, he kind of almost takes it as a personal attack. He calls it a cruel trick. Um, yes. And, you know, that it's too terrible to bear. And, um, you know, he yells at her, basically. And I, that, you know, I've seen some fan reaction, uh, actually, on both sides of that. Like, oh, he was completely justified or, or he's overreacting. Like, what's your take? Um, it's. To me, it's kind of a Wolf Rider thing. We saw that in, uh, well, we've seen it all throughout the quest, usually through the eyes of Cutter, where he encounters something new, and he's like, what is wrong with you people? Like, you know, usually his reaction is one of confusion and, you know, not understanding, but uh, because he's Cutter, he makes the effort to understand. That's how we move forward. But I think there's, there's this undertone of, of the tribal life that they lived that, that still remains, you know, where it's like, You've shown me something so outside my experience. You know, my reaction is one of defense. It's one of protection, um, you know, which is, which is like you said, very human. Um, we don't like to take in new information that changes our worldview. It, we view it as damaging or threatening, you know. So I think we can identify with uh, Skywise's reaction here. And it's also interesting because Timane, for all her wisdom, is as alien to Skywise as Skywise is to a human. She explains by simply showing. 
Now to her, it's a simple and direct answer. She even has to tell him, I am answering you. This is my answer. And I don't think she truly understands how threatening it is. I mean, she's very wise, but she is alien in that sense. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, um, you know, Timmings from certain fans are, is getting some flack because of the way that she chose to, again, rip that Band-Aid off. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I look at it this way. The, the way to understand Tamayne as a character and the choices she makes is that she is, for all intents and purposes in the world of ElfQuest, a god. Yes. I mean, she's been around forever. You know, she's seen so much. Her brain does not work the way a 40-year-old character's brain would work. Yeah. And so the role that she plays in the story is to add that, that almost supernatural, almost mythic type character and in all the other mythologies out there that deal with sort of godlike beings you know when you ask them a question you have to be prepared for them to give you the answer and it's not always going to be what you want to hear or they're going to tell you the truth basically and so <laughs> that you know I, i'm kind of picking up notes of that with how Tamane has chosen to not only reveal it to skywise but also to cutter too you know she kind of did the same thing with cutter she said you know this is the scenario, you and I are the same. And then she finally shaped herself into the Cutter shape. And, um, you know, Cutter freaked out too. But as you yeah. pointed out, Cutter then made the effort. He did the work, right? Yeah, Cutter did. did the work. And it was brutal work, you know? He went crazy. He ran off for months and, you know, lived feral and slowly kind of accepted this and then embraced it. And so now we're getting to see Skywise having to do the work. And again, it'll be fascinating. And knowing those character differences and everything that you were just saying, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how Skywise is going to well, interesting because this or not. Skywise is the type of character that avoids the work. <laughs> you know, yes. he's, always had, he's always had wit. He's always had guile. He's always had humor, you know. Um, not to mention those, ladies. Yeah, <laughs> not to mention... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and none of those tools, none of those methods are going to work this time. This is pure truth. It cannot now be ignored or pretended that it didn't happen. It's there. But then that brings us to what Jink does. Yes, and so Jink, in all of her innocence, uh, you know, let, let's before we talk about the specific yeah. act, right? Like, so Jink is the daughter of this goddess, or, you know, this Timane god character, born in the, the star home on their original planet where these beings are sort of at their full potential, yeah. right? And so the limits of what she can do are, are boundless, right? And it's kind of an interesting thing that they're playing with about the interplay between power and innocence. Yes. And, and, and immaturity, too, you know? So, so Jink sees her father freak out and well, before she even gets to Skywise, there's this really great interaction that she has with Tamane, her mom, yeah. where she 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 comes on the scene and Tamane is still in Cutter's body form. Yeah. And Jink, in all of the, the, the beauty and innocence of youth, just doesn't bat an eye. She's like, oh, you guys are the same. You know, like. She I, laughs. She laughs, she right. She laughs as Tamane shapeshifts back to her mother's form. Right. She thinks it's a great game. Totally. Or well, and, and the thing that it, it immediately made me think of is um, I'm sure you've seen videos of little kids seeing a same-sex couple for the first time. Yeah. And 
you know, there's in our society, a lot of times you hear the, you know, sort of, oh, how am I going to talk about this to my kids, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and there's some great videos out there on the internet where little kids don't bat an eye. They're like, oh, okay, sure. Part of their life. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I saw a lot of that coming through with, with, with Jink. Like, she doesn't have any preconceived notions. She hasn't been taught that things are rigidly one way or the other. They're, you know, you know, as a little kid, she's three years old. She just has the ability to see the world with fresh eyes and and go with the flow, which I thought was brilliant. Plus, um, she's surrounded by love. Yes. And has never known a day of violence uh, or survival in her life. And so there's nothing to stop her from taking in new information. She doesn't need any defenses. Right. And I think that's so key in understanding her motivation for doing what she does, because she literally has never had to face anything like that. And, you know, that is the double-edged sword of being on the star home. It is a paradise. It is this, this perfect realm where th these beings now have the option of avoiding all fear and anger and conflict and hurt. And so Jing probably doesn't, hasn't really seen that yet, at least not at three years old. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about what this all means about the, the, the lesson of pain. That was oh, such a yeah. key thing throughout all the rest of ElfQuest, right? And yes. this, this idea that what makes the Wolf Riders different and special is that, you know, through Tumane's choice to turn into a wolf and really become part of the world of Two Moons, mm -hmm. that that was the gift. I mean, she even refers to that as such in the original quest when she first comes back into her High One form. You know, it was the gift that I gave my son, you know, the, basically the lesson of pain, this idea that living in bodies is good and that part of what comes along with that is the pleasure, but also the pain. And that's a good thing because the, the lesson of pain is just that, not that we want to celebrate pain, but that pain can be a good thing because it reminds us that we're alive. Um, and it's such an evolved way of looking at it. Again, it's not looked at it with fear. It's looked at it as it, it is. It right. simply is. And a, as we all know, um, you learn more from failure or pain than you do from success. So in a way, the Wolf Riders, uh, you know, have been are very well evolved. They're very adapted, you know, because they've had to learn that lesson. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the key thing that I think uh, I think some might have missed in all of that conversation is that. By going to the star home and choosing to live in this paradise, the elves haven't forgotten the lesson of pain. In fact, no. Tumane even says, like, I, I have taken this lesson of pain. And Tumane was the original mother of memory, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't think that this story is about that, right? This isn't a story that Wendy and Richard are telling about the repercussions of living in paradise and forgetting the lesson of pain. Because right. that's what the entire point of the original quest was about, with the high ones falling in the first place, and right. and that thread went all the way through, um, all the way through up until final quest. If that were the point of the story, we would know. It. So, right. so what were you know? We do have these instances of you know Jink and her innocence, maybe you know not experiencing negativity, and and Venka's choice to not allow Satrika to see or experience deliberate killing is another yes. example of that. But exactly. You know, Tumane is there to remind them and to help them remember the lesson of pain. That's the big gift. And I think the choice to leave the world of two moons was made in part because that lesson had been fully learned. And it was re they were ready to leave. Because if you remember in Kings of the Broken Wheel, and even before that in Siege of Blue Mountain, 
when Rayek is sending to Tamane and saying, like, I'm going to restore the palace, I'm going to take us off this planet, and she doesn't respond. Right. And going back and thinking about that, I think it's because, at least one reason, is that the lesson of pain hadn't really been learned by her people. Uh, they no. weren't ready to, to walk away from the world of two moons yet. It's the, also the reason why she forbade Skywise zipping around and, and taking away the opportunity of the elves making their pilgrimage back to the palace in Final right. Quest. You know, it's their right to go through those, those challenges and those trials because that is what makes life worth living. And that's a very high hum concept, which again, totally, a lot of people yeah. I think maybe had a little bit of a challenge with because they're like, come on, like why, why, why would you put them at risk? But like, that's the whole point here. So anyway, I, to bring it back to Stargazer song number two, I don't think that the lesson of pain isn't there. And I'm quite confident that Tamane is going to remind her people. And the perfect example of that is her choice to rip the bandaid off. She doesn't yeah. coddle. And she even says, you know, and she said the same thing with, with, when she revealed to Cutter, too. Like, there's a chance this could destroy him. And yeah. what does she say towards the end of the issue? Tamane says something uh, about the, something similar. Like, you know, I knew that this, I waited withholding the telling, knowing the outcome could for him be unendurable. But she doesn't protect him from that because she knows that life has ups and downs. And that's part yes. of what's, what's living. And that is the lesson of pain right there. Well, that. I wonder, actually, because uh, Tumaine is so wise, she appears almost prescient. It, 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 you, you really do wonder, like, can you see potential futures? And then I thought of the scroll of colors, how it isn't like a television where it's like, this is what's going to happen five minutes from now. There are threads. Right. And I kind of feel like she can see potential threads. She goes... You know, she she says this might destroy him or it might not. But I think she's not guessing. Right. I think she can see the, each thread and go, yeah, that, that could happen. Oh, it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. no question about that. I mean, Tumane and Auric, Egg, they, they can see all of these potential threads. And I think it takes tremendous amount of skill and a really high hum to really be able to read this world of colors. But that's yeah. that's the point. It's not it's not linear. It's not just one outcome. This is a magical device that that can look into all time, and 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 see what could happen. So yeah, I think Tamane is is well aware of the five hundred different potential ways this could all go. And Oric, mm -hmm. when Jin goes to see him afterward, um, after she realizes that she screwed up. You know, even says the same thing. He's like, oh, yeah, that's why that new thread appeared, because Skywise's path is now potentially going to be completely different than what it would have been before this. Um, so I have no doubt that some of the elves, um, particularly the, the highest of the high, you know, Tamein, Auric, um, that they can for sure see what those are. And again, that kind of if you know that it helps you understand the character's behavior. Because Tamane, yeah. she's not making judgment calls on she she's just sharing the truth. And and you gotta remember too, Skywise asked her to. He now yeah, he yeah. didn't he didn't like the way she did it. <laughs> Which actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire issue was the scene after Skywise learns the, the, the news and he has his freak out and he yeah. kind of runs off. And there's that full page or like that full that panel that shows him kind of walking through the woods. Um, Which is gorgeous by the way. Totally, uh, right? Amazing. Yeah, just the page layout there is 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 fantastic, and so you know he's kind of musing about this, and you know he's saying like, I wish she could have told me bit by bit, so that 
that I mean, that's how it's it's conducive for me to kind of understand new things. And again, you don't always get what you ask for, or, or you get information the way that you want it when you ask a god. And so I I just wanted to highlight that page because a it's beautiful and and again, Tamane is going to give the answer the way that she's going to give it. And yes. Skyways obviously was not cool with that. But one other thing about that scene that really, at least to me, stood out and that makes it actually really special is that I can hear Richard coming through in that in that internal you know dialogue that Skywise yeah. is having or monologue, I suppose. And and I it jumped out at me because we all know that that Skywise is Richard's elf, right? He yeah. Um, if if Cutter is Wendy, then Skywise is Richard, and so I have to I have to guess that that Richard really was influencing the dialogue, which I just think is great. That line suddenly I'd see the connections, the patterns, like the pictures in the stars. Yeah, that that feels very vintage Richard to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And and you know the next part too. And then in time, there could have been a rush of ah, now this makes sense. Right. That's how I've always liked to learn. I feel like that's Richard's personality coming right through there. This monologue actually reminds me of another original quest thing. And I, I'm always being blown away by how these these seeds were planted so long ago. But it's when uh, when they're fighting the trolls. And Skywise has been, up to that point, Locke sending with Cutter to sort of bolster his own physical skills. But Cutter has to divert his attention, I think, to Dewshine at right. that point. Yep. And so he has to cut Skywise out of the psychic loop, as it were. Now, Skywise understands, but his heart, he, he, he feels resentment. He feels like Skywise has always been so vulnerable in his heart because I think he has needed Cutter, like truly needed that relationship um, so much more than, than maybe he let on to, to himself. And so that resentment that you see way back when at being out of the loop, at being separate from, has carried through up to now. And actually, I think that is exactly why Skywise has the negative reaction. I mean, there's the shock of just getting the news, but it's yes. deeper than that. Yeah. I think the reason Skywise has such a, uh, a negative and, and angry reaction is that it's hurtful to him that he was out of the loop. Right. And he, I felt that too. Yes. You know, and, and, and I don't mean that in a petty way, you know, it's, it's no, not no. like the office gossip where you're like, Oh, I didn't know that blank D blank did this, you know, mm -hmm. and you feel kind of, you know, irritated at not being told by your, you know, your work cronies. This is not one, but two beings that he has recognized. Yes. And the idea yes. that, Oh my gosh, I thought I knew everything about both of them. And cause again, Cutter, and Skywise recognized, and then Skywise and Tamane recognize separately, even though they're connected. And, it, and it's a double-edged sword because there's the question of how could you not have told me, but coupled with how could I not have known? Exactly, yeah. And I think, again, I don't blame him for having that response. I mean, I think oh, it's no. a very human, and I don't mean like human-elf divide. I mean, by human, right. I mean real. Yes. And that's, yes. again, one of the things that makes ElfQuest great is that it's a fantasy story, but we're dealing with real world impactful emotions. And that is what I think draws us into the story. It's what makes it, it's what's made it so enduring. You know, this isn't yes. just some you know, silly fantasy or sci-fi that doesn't, isn't grounded in reality. And that's what, what makes good fantasy and science fiction good. It's when it has that root in actual reality. 
and Skywise's kind of emotional response and and again unpacking it and kind of looking at it from his point of view really is just so weighty and, really and real. So let's go back to Jink. Oh, Jink. So we were just saying, you know, Jink in her innocence, she's grown up sheltered. I think that's fair. Not necessarily sheltered in the way that the original High Ones were without the lesson of pain. But right. at any rate, in her very, very youthful innocence, she sees her dad hurting. And it's very yeah. clear that she adores Skywise, which just makes my heart swell. Um, I know, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, Tamane knows her daughter and knows, and probably to your point a minute ago, has seen potential outcomes in the um, in the scroll of colors where Jink does this and knows that she, well, she could... says she says don't try to help right and so you know, out there that's probably as far as Tamane ever goes in influencing things deliberately right um, right that's very classic too because the person with the wisdom the person with the you know the 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 the, the skinny the, the 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 understanding of the truth they know it it's it's like being a parent. It doesn't matter what I'm going to say. I'm going to be like, don't put your hand in the fire. Like, oh, right. you got burned, you know? Like, totally. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it raises a question, too. Like, has Jink ever used this ability before? Do they even know that she can do this? Or is this something that just manifests in the moment? In the last issue, she kind of puts her hand up to Skywise's head. And he's like, you know, don't, don't muck around inside my head too much. And he's saying yeah. it to protect her from the yes. pain that he's feeling. But, um, you know, it raises the question, do they even know she can do this? And is this just something that manifests, again, because she's basically a high one, born at full potential, yep. right? So she's enormously powerful. And, you know, I, I guess it doesn't matter either way if she knew that she could do it, but she did it. And what she did was she erased Skywise's memory of Cutter. Yes. Now let's talk about that for a second. Skywise is his own person, yes, right? He has his own motivations, and we, we do see this later on after he loses the memory of Cutter. But largely, who he is is defined by his relationship with Cutter. How powerful do you have to be to erase that? Right. And, and especially in such an innocent way. It isn't, it isn't targeted in a malicious way. She is just going, where's the center of pain? Let's remove all of that. And she can, which blew me away, yeah. because it was a moment's touch. It was just a moment for her to erase a lifetime. Yeah, um, James, you know, like, powerful for sure. Sorry. Now, so, so is this new to you, or had you read the, the Jink series from the 90s? I, I read it when it first came out years ago and so i haven't i wanted to revisit it before we talked today because there's so much stuff but i i, I haven't had time well um, and, and and nothing wrong with that at all i don't think you need to read the old jink series in order to appreciate and enjoy stargazer's hunt but i asked because the fact that jink does this is not necessarily a surprise if you've read that old series because it's addressed there especially in the latter half of it and we learn that Auric slash Egg is back on the world of two moons and that he has this relationship with Jink, sort of a mentor-mentee, um, which we, we see in this issue of Stargazer's Hunt. But in, in those scenes, we learn that Jink mind-wiped her father. And at that point, we didn't know who it was. Right. Um, and so everyone was like, is it Cutter? Is it, is it Sunstream? Is it Skywise? So... 
this wasn't necessarily new news that she was going to do this. But right. um, now we know who she did it to. And yeah. now we know what it was. And I always suspected that if it was Skywise, it was it was something you know to do with Cutter. But yeah, no doubt, Jink is enormously powerful. It is kind of terrifying. Yeah. She definitely needs more training to hone her powers so that it's not just pure chaos, right? Yeah. Um, so, which li- li- little teaser for the next issue? We've seen the cover art, and Jink looks to be fully grown on it. Yeah. So. I have to guess that there will be some kind of time jump. And so it'll be interesting to see if she gets any kind of training, if there are any repercussions of her of her doing this. So Auric, she goes to him because she immediately senses that she did something wrong. Yes. And he very, very gently has this conversation with her where he tells her, like, this really wasn't your place to do this. And it was your father's right, right to experience this on his own. And I think that she gets the message and I think she has learned through her own lesson of pain, you know, her own guilt about doing this. And I wouldn't imagine that there's going to be any kind of like punishment at all, um, like in the way that the human world would do. And maybe and so maybe that's the moment where she does get her quote unquote reprimand. But um, but that scene with Oric, I thought was was really, really sweet on a few different levels. First of all, because Jink shows up and she sits there quietly. And waits for him to yeah. come out of his trance. Which, and, con- considering her character, right. lets you know that, that she understands the importance of what he's doing. It's a right. big deal. And she under and, and, and I think that she loves and respects him. Um, yes. Hence the name, calling him Uncle Egg, right? I love that. Totally, yeah. And so, you know, and they do make it a point in both issue one and issue two to talk about how loud Jink is, even though she doesn't always use words, even when she's just sending. Uh, Skyways even says it in this issue. And so which I makes you wonder, which makes you wonder, is it a power level thing or can you actually get too excited when you send and end up shouting? Oh, sorry. Am I shouting? I'm right. shouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Jinx says, oh, yeah, the um, my, my crystals, my pod crystals are humming extra loud. And Skyway says, that's because you're just extra loud sending or yapping. <laughs> I love it. So but anyway, the fact that she goes in, she knows to be quiet and, and wait yeah. It's easy to see Jink as maybe a little bit spoiled, but I think that scene shows that she's just a rambunctious, loved, and maybe slightly coddled, but she's not completely out of control and she's not spoiled. You know, she knows when to be respectful, when she needs to be quiet and everything. But yeah, I really loved the just kind of the that fatherly wisdom that Auric is able to kind of share with her. I just it was so perfect a, a way to explain to a child that they've done something really wrong and knowing that they didn't mean to do it in a malicious way i, I love how auric guides by the way he guides her to the answer and then he lays that truth on her would your father think it was such a little thing yep. it's a perspective piece and her eyes that panel like her eyes are all wide and it suddenly hits her maybe he wouldn't think it was a little thing, you know? Yeah. And again, it does tell us something about her power level too. That one little thing I did, like you erased uh, your dad's life. (laughs) It's horrible to laugh at, but when you say it, it just makes me want to laugh. (laughs) And I mean, to her, she was erasing pain. What, you know, what could possibly be wrong with that? Because she doesn't know the lesson of pain. He needs his pain. Yeah, and and I also really loved that this was yet another example of children can handle a lot. 
and we shouldn't we shouldn't patronize children and we shouldn't overly protect them and we should give them the benefit of the doubt to be able to handle concepts that you know we might as grown-ups think oh they're not ready for that yet mm-hmm. um, now certainly there are age-appropriate ways of 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 talking to kids and but shielding them from the the consequences of their actions um, and exposing them to weighty issues of in life is can be done and that's what we we see auric doing right here which i think is great and again it just kind of is another uh, thread in the tapestry of ElfQuest underscoring that we oftentimes don't give kids the benefit of the doubt that we should. Right. Um, and also just drooling over the beauty of, of the pages in the scroll room. The it's colors, fun. the line it's of beauty is everywhere. Yeah. And we did get to see that, that page, uh, that one page, as a piece of teaser art that I can't remember if Sunny or Wendy herself released it without the word bubbles, but... Getting to see it in in the actual comic um, did not mm. disappoint. No. So one little side note about the the scroll room that I noticed is yes. you know when Jink is heading there, um, the caption says as familiar to Jink as her own petite fingers is the path to the sacred chamber of the scroll of colors, and in that panel you see again kind of a building presumably in Palace City, and it's yes. crystalline and all of that. But at the very bottom, you see two of the the new high ones, and it looks like they're looking at what I would describe as a pictogram. And I thought that was fascinating because we know that the elves don't have a written language. We know that they use, you know, sending and magic, i.e. the scroll of colors, to kind of record their history and their wisdom. Mm -hmm. But we also know that in the Sun Village, that, that... in Saba's hut, they they recorded some of their history of the mm-hmm. rootless ones in in pictograms, yes. and, and so I'm. It's hard to see if that's what that is there, but I just thought that was a little interesting detail that could easily go overlooked, and I don't know if that'll ever be looked at again or explored. Probably not, but you know, again, just another example of the rich visual storytelling that goes into Elfquest. Okay. The, the biggest example of a of a pictogram is the great egg. You know, yes, it was exactly. it was actually a physical stone images shaped into that stone in layers. So um, so anyway, I just thought that was fascinating. I want to call attention to. Well, they it, I remember the in the Sun Village, like they did that one history flashback of you know what happened to Woodlock and Rainsong and their family. Right, and they were recorded. Yes. And it just hit me. I'm like, a lot of time has passed. Yeah. They've made it to pictogram status, you know? <laughs> like, they're part of the history now. So let's talk about Tumane as Naked Cutter, just for one minute. <laughs> oh, can we? Yes, please. Um, just thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Sonny. <laughs> thank you, Richard, for... We're very grateful. <laughs> yes. For, for showing us some skin in that beautiful dappled light and... To, to be serious for a moment, um, this is actually something else I thought was fascinating. And I thought this in Final Quest too. When Tamane assumes the form of Cutter, she chooses to appear in basically either a, a young or, or possibly an immortal iteration of Cutter's body. Mm-hmm. And Skyways even calls this out. That's how he knows. That's what's so off to him about it. Is yes. that, well, number one, Skyways, I thought this was great, says your scent is yours it's not his and he can see Tumane just through the expression on the body even though it's cutter's face you know yeah. the expression that that she is having in the male form is, is still hers and he can perceive that but 
you know, Skywise talks about when he's really getting angry. He's like, Cutter had scars, you know, he had face fur. And every one of those was was the result of the lesson of pain, which was yeah. made him a wolf rider. It made him who he was. His experiences made him who he was. And so I find it interesting, and I don't know what else to say about it other than that, that Tomain chooses to appear in that that kind of version of Cutter. What do you mm-hmm. think about that? Well, uh, again, I think it's just that slight bit of difference Tomain has where she's, I don't know if out of touch is the right word, but just a different higher perception. She appears as perfect Cutter, but it's her, what she views as perfect Cutter, which is interesting because, of course, he's flawless, but to Skywise, perfect Cutter is whatever Cutter was at the time, at his present time, you know, and so he can't handle any differences. Even though he knows this Cutter, he grew up with this Cutter, that isn't who Cutter really is. And something that really fascinates me, we know that Skywise has had his wolf blood taken away, but he still identifies by scent. Sure. Like, how deep into his brain is the memory of Cutter's scent that he can tell the yeah. difference right away. Well, I, I, and, and I think, again, that's, that's right out of real life too. I mean, I know mm-hmm. I, and I don't have wolf blood. Right? I just right. have a normal human's sense of smell. Different people do have different natural sense. And I don't mean like BO or anything, you know, there right. are, there are scents that I associate with people. And maybe again, maybe it's perfume or, or whatever, but um, I mean, to get sciency, we all have our own internal, you know, physiology and and biota, and I think that those are the things that go into helping all living things to have their own unique scent. I mean, how many animals communicate via scent? And again, I'm going to dip into my nature geek naturalist mode here, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a legit thing. Uh, we all have again sort of a unique body chemistry that produces a unique scent mark. And so, you know, maybe Skywise without his wolf blood can't scent a deer half a mile away the way that a full-blooded wolf rider might. But when he's standing right there next to them, it makes perfect sense to me that he would be able to pick up Tomain's body scent and realize that it's hers and not, not actually cutters. And to your point, he did grow up as a wolf rider. So just because the, the the sense of smell might not be as sharp as it used to be, makes perfect sense to me that he would just instinctually automatically be relying on it because that's how yes. he was raised yes yeah it's a method of communication as well exactly uh, yeah yeah it's like this is not cutter yeah right and and you know powerful words i mean skywise really freaks out again i think legitimately um mm-hmm. this is this is his version of going mad right cutter went mad and lost his identity and couldn't even form sentences and ran off into the woods skywise is a little bit more articulate but real anger here and what does he say he says this perfect untouched nightmare you've conjured up you mock him with it and me i mean that's powerful stuff i mean a a untouched nightmare is yes. is wow and really really powerful page and panel too and in, in, in what i think is a really good illustration of the fact that the star home is a paradise it's yes. a different realm it's almost like a different plane of existence right where the yes. hum is so high that yes. anger ripples through the yeah, entire community connected by it, yeah. which I find interesting. They all sense it. Everybody knows somebody has had a negative feeling and a destructive feeling, an angry feeling, which tells you a lot about what the hum 
is when it's at its best. You know, right. anger is antithetical to it. It's it's not mutual. It's it's different. It's from elsewhere, and so it ripples through the whole world, which fascinates me. Totally, and it makes me think of a couple of things from Final Quest. Number one, Moonshade in her conversation with Strongbow when he makes a little bit of a, you know, a little barb at her. And she's like, you know, she says something to the effect of like, I don't appreciate that. Like no one here in the palace, you know, thinks like that. They don't think to be angry and and maybe selfish and bitchy, frankly. I mean, yeah, yeah. Strongbow's, Strongbow's comment was real. It was nasty, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then also to Maine, when, laying down the law and telling the, the go-backs that they can't use the palace as a weapon. When they, they learned that the Junsmen were encroaching, and what she said to the go-backs was, the palace doesn't work like that. And right. if you use it in, a, in an aggressive way, in an angry way, in a way that is fueled by fear, it taints it. And yeah. I think that's the same thing that goes for the whole Star Home. And, and she even says, that's why the palace crashed. Because the trolls very justified anger and hatred of the, the first comers for keeping them mm -hmm. as slaves, infused the palace with all of that, that those kinds of emotions, and it caused the crash. Yeah, and yes. not only did it cause the crash, it caused them to go back in time 10,000 years or whatever uh, for yeah. the world of two moons time frame. So I, it's all just story consistency, right? It's in-world story consistency, and they're on the star home. It's the same thing. And I love where we get to see some of our, our old favorite characters. We see Suntoucher, we see Sunstream and Brill, we see Aurori and, and Saba. And we get to see something also fascinating. Mm. We get to see them actually living. You know, they're not just these monk-like people living inside crystal palaces. Some of them mm -hmm. are, like Auric obviously is. But, yeah. you know, the sun, Suntoucher is out there shepherding the growing of crops. And it's very similar to what he was doing in the Sun Village. You've even got the mountain behind him uh -huh. with the sun rising, you know, because he used to go up on the mountain every day to greet the sun. Exactly. And so there's, there's a little callback to that right there. Absolutely. And then we see that Brill and Sunstream, they are in a crystalline structure. But if you look in the window, it's pretty clear yep. they're underwater. And we they're see elves swimming underwater. underwater. So, And I didn't know how the elves were going to live. But it's very clear that... They recreated the, the, the star home. And this kind of answers a question that I had. Because it was like, did they just kind of tap into ancestral memory and make it what it was before? You know, long before the original High Ones ever left? Or did they take their learning and their experience and infuse that when they restored the planet and make it what they wanted it to be? And I think these, these panels here show us that it, it, it's probably the latter. They, I would assume it is because... You cannot create something that is uh, untouched by who you are. You right. are the filter. You are the, uh, like, you're the artist, but you're also the art. So, you know, if you've lived a, a thousand years and you've learned the lesson of pain, you are changed. I don't think it would be possible for them to recreate what was exactly. They aren't those people. Right. And it also would explain why, for example, there is a wolf-like creature, very similar yeah. to the um, the wolves of the world of two moons. Now, in the last episode, I talked about my theory that perhaps Moonshade's spirit was influential there, and so it fits right in with what you just said, which which I, I I kind of love that idea. I love that they took their learning and their experience, which again was the whole point of what they went through the last twenty thousand years on the world of two moons, and 
and brought it back to the star home and made the star home something new and different than it had before. It evolved too. Um, and this is something interesting too, going back to the hum and how, you know, violent feelings like disrupt the hum. And yet when Strongbow hunts, that is, it, it, it's like, I think it's because it's natural. It's part of nature. It's part of the birth, death, life cycle that it doesn't disrupt the hum. They just, you know, like they don't want the kids to see it in some, in some cases, right? But it's not disruptive. I, what a brilliant observation. I didn't even think about that. I mean, you're absolutely right because when Strongbow is hunting and when wolf riders hunt, it's not out of malice. It's not because they want to do harm to the animal that they're killing. Right. It's, to your point, just part of a cycle of life. And I'm so thrilled to see that that exists on the star home that even yeah. though it is a paradise, in many ways, the paradise is of the elves' own making and their own choice. You know, they're yes. living and they're focusing on their hum. And, and you know, the, the hum, again, I think is still a little bit challenging for, for folks to wrap their minds around. Mm. And this issue helped, helped me a little bit think about it in terms of the feeling that you get when you go to, in the real world, a sacred place. You know, for some people, that might be a beautiful cathedral. Um, for other people, it might be a, an incredible natural vista or location. The feeling that you get when you feel connected to something bigger than yourself, mm. that's kind of what I feel like when I feel personally like I'm raising my hump in real yes. world. And yes. so as I'm thinking about that in relation to the elves of the star home, that's helping me understand why an angry thought could really disrupt it. For me, when I'm out there connecting to nature is when I feel my home raised the highest. So yes. if I'm sitting in the middle of a forest and I'm attuned to all of the magic going on around me, that is just life. Yes. And somebody shoots a gun. Like that's oh, going yeah. to jar me, right? That's going to yeah, take yeah, me out yeah. of that moment. It's going to lower my hum. It's going to make me fearful. That is what Skywise anger is kind of like. It's almost like a gunshot going off because yeah. the whole experience of the elves on on the star home is like being in that 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 sort of temple, that heightened awareness, that positive place. So going back to the the page though, where we get to see all of these characters again, we see the sun villagers gardening. We see the wave dancers underwater. And then we see um, Saba and Arori in this beautiful crystalline room with a disco floor. <laughs> I am so living for the disco floor. To me, light and color is just, I can't get enough of it. Like, just like, throw it at me. I'm like and, waiting for Donna Summer to start, like, you know, playing in the background. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Upside down. Boy, timing. Um, this is just... It's, it's just another facet of beauty. We have crystals. We have lights. We have, I mean, is it a machine? Is it circuitry? Or is it just reminiscent of the, um, the hanging bits of silica crystals she had in her hut in yep. uh, the Sun Village? But still, light and color interplay. And I'm just thinking, oh, Savah, you got us. Like, <laughs> she's, just, she's just amazing. Totally. And I, I love how ethereal Aurori looks here, too, you know. Um, it's like a little, it's a little Xanadu. It's a little slice of heaven. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I had to, I had to call that out. I don't know if that um, was, was something that Wendy put into the layouts or if it was something that, you know, Sonny did all on his own, but either way, Wendy and Sonny, if you're listening to this, 
you, I think you get two thumbs up for me and two thumbs up for Michael on that. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, just, just to reiterate, we talked about this on the, the last episode too, and, and um, probably also in Final Quest episodes at the end. But just to reiterate, Cutter, and they say this in this issue, even though he is shares, you know, he's half of the soul, the Tam Tamane soul, is his own being. He is yes. his own person. He yes. lived a physical life with that half of the spirit as a separate entity. And that remains true. And it's yeah. wholly unique. I mean, is it Timane that says it? You know, if you read the scroll of colors, you know, you'll never find another thread like the Tam Tamane one. So they're right. wholly unique. They're separate beings, but they came from one and they're connected. Now, Cutter severed that tie where the Tamane half could know the thoughts and feel the emotions in real time of the cutter half. You know, when she told him that in the palace in Final Quest and he went mad, he severed that tie. That's pretty clear if you go back and reread that. And, yeah. you know, she even says to Auric, like, I can no longer feel him, um, right. you know, in that same way. But here, you know, she says that his spirit is out there roaming the great all that is as a distinct entity, just like it was in life, still teaching yeah. her. So, you know, Tamane is still connected to Cutter's spirit and she can still perceive it. I think Tamane can do that with spirits, period, just because of who she is. Um, in fact, the very first thing that she does when she reverts to High One Shape in the original quest is look up and be like, oh, my friends, you're all here. You know, do you remember yeah. that? Because she yes. easily can perceive and interact with spirit. I'm really hoping that although this is Skywise's story and Skywise's journey, I I would be lying if I said I didn't hope we saw Cutter again in the spirit world. Just to know that everything's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but also Skywise's quest, what's it for? Will it lead him to Cutter or will it lead him to being okay without Cutter, without ever necessarily having to reconnect with him? I kind of hope that he does reconnect and, and make his peace with Cutter's spirit. I, I'm kind of hoping for that. Yeah, I um, I am too, obviously. I, mean, I think we all are. We miss Cutter. At the same time, the Peenies are really good about pulling a Timane with all of us fans and laying down the lesson of pain on us. <laughs> right, right. And so the, the whole idea of like dead characters staying dead, yes, we sometimes get glimpses of them as spirits, but they don't come yeah. back to living. And that's no, hard, no. you know, and, and I can remember all of the angst over One-Eye not coming back, oh. especially when they were so cruel and they teased us with the idea that he was coming back in the original quest. And then right. they're like, oh, uh, yeah, not so much, you know, yeah. and I could see Stargazers going that same route, you know, as yeah. as emotionally impactful as it would be to get some connection and closure for Skywise by actually reconnecting with Cutter's spirit on camera. I could also see it going the other way too, that we oh, don't actually get to see that. And that is, I don't know. I think they, either route this goes could be equally powerful, but yeah, I would be lying too. If I didn't say, I want to see my old friend cutter in some way, shape or form, uh, right. even if it's just a glimpse and knowing that that Skyway's got that opportunity to reconnect with him. But you know, I guess we'll I have to wait talk, and see. I want to talk just briefly about the gift that the Peenies storytelling is right. Um, it's never pandering. It's never, um, oh, I know what's going to happen. You know, you're, no, you don't. Like, it's like you, you can still be surprised. I have been reading since 1983, and I'm still delighted and surprised. Even, even the, the stuff I, I, you know, I, I wish didn't happen, you know, like chemo's death or whatever. I, I, 
I'm still grateful for the story that I'm given. And this is one of the things I love about this fandom and about this this uh, storyline in particular is we are along for the ride. Hold on, because you don't know where the twists and turns are going to come. And that's a trust the Peenies have built with us, the fans, over the years. You know, trust us to drive you know, the car, to, to steer the ship, right? But we're not giving you the map. We're not, we're not telling you what the destination is. Um, just trust that it will be a great ride. I could not have said it better myself. It's powerful stuff, and it's why we're all ElfQuest fans, I think. Yes. All right, let's talk about Thistlecap. Yes. I love the yes. preservers. Um, and yes, they all pretty much have the exact same personality. <laughs> They're kind of interchangeable from that point of view. But it's also just so fun and cool to, to see the new colors and the new hats. And, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, in some ways, I feel like I would have liked to see more preserver diversity in the past stories. You know, Petalwing ends up being the stand-in. And when Petalwing isn't around, the Peenies have come up with some other named characters. But it always kind of defaults to Petalwing. And, um, you know, actually, that was one of the things that I really liked about some of the 90s stories where that were following other groups of elves uh, and... We got to actually meet a few more of the of the preservers um, yes. in the Hidden Year storyline. Even in the Shard storyline, we get a few other named preservers, and um, I just thought that was neat because there's a whole bunch of them, and we might as well have fun with it, right? And so we're getting to see that here because, of course, Petalwing stayed on the World of Two Moons, so they needed another preserver, I guess, to accompany Skywise, and so hence Thistlecap. And so, yeah, Thistlecap's great, and we also learned that there's something unique. So even though the preservers have kind of a universal personality this is the first indicator that we have that maybe they have different talents and so yeah. thistlecap we learn can actually shoot hard gobs of rap stuff and the poor squirrel gets one right in the head as yep. it's... <laughs> so i just thought that was neat and um i have to guess that that is maybe a little bit of foreshadowing that yeah. <laughs> that skill is going to come in handy in in some way as skywise embarks on his 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 quest the other things about Thistlecap that I loved were, number one, preservers are remarkably consistent. And here we have Thistlecap guarding the quote-unquote palace. You know, the, three days and three nights. I know. I know. Love yeah. And, and that is why the other thing that I adore about Thistlecap is that the very first thing it says is that it calls Jink out for being careless. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, look, you're here. And by the way, you are really careless, little one. I've been sitting yeah. here for three days. And, you know, someone's got to say it, right? So, yes. <laughs> so I thought that was really awesome. You know, preservers don't have a filter, and I think sometimes that's a good thing. I, yeah, I really enjoyed how the Thistlecap points out that the Stargirl High thing all wonky be. <laughs> they're observant. Yeah. All right. um, you know, just because they're chattery doesn't mean they're unintelligent. Completely, and I, yep. It's good to remember that. Well, and in Final Quest, it really was a, a major story point it was this idea that the trolls are just as equal as the elves yes and they were wronged by the elves and yes. they were completely justified in many of their actions against the elves and that the elves frankly needed to apologize and make amends and yes. you know that was a big part of that i'd love it if in in stargazers hunt the preservers got a little bit of a status boost you know they do yeah. get a little yeah. bit of the raw end of the stick 
Because, yeah, they can be annoying, and the characters in the story oftentimes write them off. But yeah. um, maybe we're getting a little bit of a glimpse of the fact that, you know, the preservers are also equal beings to the trolls and to the um, and to the elves. You know, like, they all come from the same place. They're family. So, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you called that out. That even Thistlecap can perceive that something is wrong with Skywise after Jink wipes his memory. And Jink herself tells, like, immediately. And that's why she's asking all the questions, like, what else do you remember? And you could even see the expression on her face after she wipes his memory. And they, they travel back because Skywise is going to take a nap. And you could see her growing concern just in her facial expressions, which is yeah. so subtle. Fantastic job on Sonny's part for really capturing that. That's something that yeah. Wendy is a utter master at. And so yeah. really, really great to see that, that kind of subtle emotion coming through. Again, you could just see sort of concern and a little bit of anxiety in Jing. And, and speaking of which, too, right after she does it, yes. she wipes his memory, and then there are... Two panels in particular that really yeah. stood out to me as just so fantastic. So she wipes his memory, and then you go on to the next page, and the first panel is Jink kind of over Skywise's shoulder looking at him, and Skywise is just blinking. Like, yeah. what just happened? And then <laughs> without skipping a beat, he looks down and sees her, and, and he like you could tell like everything that he was just in utter angst about, about learning the truth about Cutter and Tomate, is gone. And he just says, hello, Cub. Did you find your pod crystal yet? And she responds with a big smile. Those two panels have such mm -hmm. an animated quality to them. You know, well, we've got exactly. the, the the blink blink written on the page, but like I can see when I look at that panel, Skywise's <laughs> eyes going up and down. And I can hear the sound effect that might actually be, you know, there if this were like a cartoon or something. It's, it's such so beautiful, clean lines and it just communicates so much. So go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's, a beautiful kind of horror. His face, so innocent, so at peace, you know, whereas like a panel ago, you know, he was yep. in pain. So you're like, oh, look, he's happy. And then you realize, wow, okay, that that just happened in like 10 seconds or whatever. So he looks perfectly skywisey. And then you're like, oh, man, he should not look that peaceful. Right. So there's, you're kind of taken aback. Totally. And speaking of, of sort of the horror effect, the, on the previous page, you know, Skywise is standing in the woods and he's rolling this all around in his mind and he's getting, you know, working himself up into like anguish. Yeah. And in each panel, you see Jink floating closer and closer. Yeah. And yeah, right. again, it's pure <laughs> innocence and she is driven by the purest of motivations to take away her daddy's hurt but it's terrifying if you know what's coming right you it's like she's creeping up behind him and then she pounces and so there's definitely a little bit of a note of of like horror sensibility in that um, welcome to camp crystal lake skywise <laughs> <laughs> exactly right but 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 going back to skywise's facial expressions on that on that next page where you you know it's just like it's like a, a 180 like he goes from utter anguish to just like smiling happy normal skywise jink in that scene has a big grin on because she's like oh i did it i i you know i helped him but yeah. as you go through the next couple of pages that's where you see the progression like even jink perceives immediately that something's off that something's yeah. not right and you yes. can see it in her face and in the questions that she keeps asking him like are you sure you're okay you know that kind of thing and you know the fact that skywise immediately wants to take a nap 
I thought was yeah. another little bit of clever storytelling because oftentimes when you have a brain injury, you get sleepy. That's what they always tell you. Like if you bang okay. your head, like, you know, don't go to sleep. And I, and I don't know if that was a deliberate thing, a deliberate storytelling choice to indicate that, you know, Skyways is brain damaged now, you know, like he's, yeah. his brain has been injured and that he has to go take a nap. But at any rate, another thing that I utterly adored about the artwork was yeah. the depiction of Skywise's bedroom. I'm so happy with his little condo. <laughs> I just really liked it because it it's all these elements of him yes. on the page. Yep. It's got the green. It's got the glass ceiling where he sees the sky, you know, and even his his light fixture, I assume it's a light fixture, his sort of spiky disco ball there. It's like he has a star in his room. Correct. Uh, totally, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. it. W one of my, the things that I love most in ElfQuest, and there's a lot, I know, I say that a lot, but I love seeing the inside of their, their living spaces. And, you know, if you go back to the original ElfQuest Gatherum, oh, I don't know yeah. if, you, if, you, if you have that, or the big ElfQuest Gatherum, yeah. um, or it, it might have been in the second one, I'm not sure, but at any rate, in one of the Gatherums, there's a little bit of a discussion in one of the articles, and it's been years since I read any of that. I need to pull those out, but there's a discussion of the organic, flowing design nature of how the elves create their living spaces, whether it's a, a bowl in the father tree or a hut in the sun village and just how fluid and organic is. And I think it's contrasted with the trolls, which are all angular and linear, and sharp, hard edges and things like that. I just, I, I always love seeing the inside of their spaces. And Absolutely. so seeing Skywise's room with all of those elements that you were just saying, it's a little mm -hmm. bit of the stars, but it's a little bit of the forest as well. Um, it's exactly what I do in my own space. I want my, the inside of my safe space, my home, Yes. To have be reflective of the elements that make me up, which of course is why I'm sitting in a room surrounded by ElfQuest. <laughs> yeah, right now as but, we record. So, um, something interesting that you touched on all throughout the series, shapers have had organic round shapes, but here on the Star Home, and maybe this is because now almost everybody can shape the Star Home, or at least that's sort of the impression I get. Look at Skywise's space; it's angular. It's kind of in a way, it's kind of logical um, in, as opposed to sort of emotional. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when I look at this space, I think mind, thought, clarity of purpose. You know, I don't see a flow. I don't see organic. I see a sharp contrast to that, which maybe is a neat visual way of telling us Skywise's mind doesn't work the way other elves do. Yeah. And so... Because my, now my mind is racing it, but based on everything you just said. So a couple of things I'll note is that the, the palace in its true sort of crystalline structure did mm. have edges and angles, right? Yeah. And, I, and even edges and angles are organic. I mean, they're natural yeah. shapes that, that exist in nature. They might not be as fluid and flowy and line of beauty-esque as some of the other design shapes that, that Wendy has worked into the the kind of feel of ElfQuest. But what's really interesting about both the palace and what we see the windows looking like in Skywise's bedroom is that there are angles and sharp edges, but everything's still asymmetrical. Good so if point. you look yes. at the window structure, you do have these triangles and these kind of rectangular shapes, but they're not smooth straight lines totally, and it's right. not symmetrical. Like the trolls and two-edge do symmetrical design. 
Yes. The elves, even when they're not working with a curved line, are still mm-hmm. doing asymmetry. And, you know, I'm sure there are other uh, folks out there with, with art history and analytical um, skill sets that would have more to say about it. But I'm just observing this in the moment as we're talking yeah. about it. So I think that's interesting. And those angles are contrasted by the beautiful flowiness of, of the leaves from the little trees that he has growing. And also the flow of his, his blanket as well, which is very, again, line of beauty and things like that. So it's just like sort of perfect contrast going on with symmetry and asymmetry and nature and, and, and the stars. And I love the fact that they called out the fact that in the original palace, it didn't have windows because that's a callback right to the end of the, the original quest when he rejoins the wolf riders and says to Cutter, oh, the palace didn't have windows. I couldn't see yeah. the stars, so I might as well come back with you. And so what does he do when he gets to the star home? But he shapes himself this this room, which I have to guess is every astronomer's fantasy bedroom, you know, yeah. where you can sit out in the night sky and just be surrounded by the, you know, the vista of the stars above you. And so, again, maybe maybe this is uh, Richard's influence here, if he uh, ever fantasized about being able to just lie in bed and look up. But yeah, so it's just, it's such a great space. It, it hits on so many of the things that make ElfQuest great, both visually, but also just from uh, the storytelling point of view. And also you can really uh, see clearly in this, in that, that picture of the bedroom where he's lying on his back, that the star home has three moons. Yeah. So there's the world of two moons and then the star home has three moons. They pointed that out in the final quest when they kind of re- rebirth the planet, but you can see it right there. And also you get to see that beautiful color palette that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast of the, the purples and the reds coming into the sky. Oh, so it's mesmerizing. Um, Do you know, I just noticed something, um, and it's, it's, I think it's worth noting. In the last issue, Skywise starts off in his, his I-1 form. And, uh, you know, for, for Strongbow's sake, he's like, no, Strongbow likes it when I'm in my Wolf Rider form, right? He does not change back. His his default form is still the wolf rider form even after jink takes away his 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 pain and stress he doesn't just revert to high one he's still in his wolf rider form i think that's worth noting i i do too and that was on my mind as well now mm. i think some of that might be just because skywise is more familiar to us as readers um yeah. in in that form and you know especially if you're if you're trying to hook in older readers that might not have kept up with the story to open up a book and see Skywise in I-1 form might not actually be recognizable to them as Skywise. Right. So it's, you right. know, in other words, it's, it's, it's using the signature look of your, one of your main characters. So I think in the real world, maybe that's one of the decisions that went in, one of the things that went into making that decision. But I also think in story, to your point, that it's got to mean something, right? Like, what does yeah. it mean that that is Skywise's kind of default form? He doesn't immediately revert to the High One form. And we'll have to see what happens as he jets off into who knows where in his pod at the end of the issue. And this is an interesting thing, too. He is leaving his family behind. So is it because he fully intends to return after he just quickly goes to find something? But the thing is, that's not the impression I get. He is thinking, I'm, I'm looking for it, but I don't know where to find it. When I feel lost, the stars always help me find my way. That It doesn't imply that he's going to return or not return. It, it's a neutral statement. Yeah. Um, but he just packs up and goes, leaving his life mate and daughter behind, which is a, not a very wolf ridery thing. 
Uh, yeah. So a couple of things on that. Um, it, our, 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 number one, I think you have to remember, again, that Skywise has just gone through ex- extreme trauma. Yeah. Both oh, from yeah. the news that Timmy shared with him, but also then what Jink did to him. And I don't yeah. think you can judge Skywise on any action that he takes in this moment no. the way that you would if those things hadn't happened, right? If he were in his right mind. Again, Cutter literally went mad and re- he he took New Moon out and threatened Lita with it. You know, yeah. he yeah, abandoned yeah. everybody. He went running crazy, right? So same thing with Skywise. It might not be as dramatic mm. as what Cutter did, but it's kind of the same thing. Like It's a parallel Yes, a parallel, exactly. And so, so again, I know it can be easy to judge Skywise for you know ditching Jink, especially since again in the, the cover of the ne- the next issue, we see that she's grown up, and I have to presume that this isn't resolved by the next issue, and Skywise isn't home, and everything's hunky dory, right? So, right, right. you know, the suggestion that he is there, that he might miss Jink's growing up years, just based on what we've seen so far, I think is is very real. But I would just say like caution people not to overly judge Skywise because he's the victim here. Again, oh, yeah. No, I, I don't mean to imply any judgment. It's just an observation that it's, uh, you know, it feels like it might be out of character, but I only mean that to underscore the fact that he is in turmoil right, right now, that he is not himself at the moment. Totally, and yeah. desperately seeking an answer. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what we're kind of meant to take to take away from it. As we start to wind down, because I think we've covered most, uh, we've covered everything that I had on my my list that I wanted to touch on. Um, mm. One thing that I didn't even note that I'm looking at right now and marveling at is the the pod that Skyway shapes for himself out of the, the, his bedroom. Basically, he turns his bedroom yeah. into a pod, and Sonny has found a way to to take. I don't know, a new take on the star stuff that made the palace and the pods and palace city. It almost looks metallic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's got slightly richer colors to it than the palace crystals did, which were very pastel. Maybe this is, has some jewel tones worked in. And I don't know again, if that was meant as a conscious decision or just like an artistic one, because it looks good on the page and it's dark out, but whatever, it's it's totally gorgeous. I, I interpreted it as uh, his emotions are part of the formation and shaping process, so the colors are more vivid and more intense because that's what's going on in his brain. Wow, fascinating. I love that too. Mm. All right. Is there anything that we have not touched on that you want to talk about about this issue? Um, just sort of flicking through the... like I've got the issue open right beside me here, uh, you know, and there's... It's a meal. I have the the, the peony creations of ElfQuest have never been fast food. They're a full meal that needs digestion. And sometimes, you know, when you read it, like I, I tend to read in courses. So like uh, when I read it, the first thing I read uh, is the story is the words. Then I go back to digest the art. And then I go back a third time to marry them together in my head because I, I'm just so voracious when a new issue comes out. I just... I want to I want to get the story in me as fast as I can, and I know that uh, I'm doing a disservice to it by doing that. So it takes two or three reads. But all in all, I just want to say this is really, really hitting me where I live. Uh, Skywise has always been one of my favorites. The relationship of Skywise to Cutter has long been 
my number one draw to ElfQuest. I love their relationship. I always have loved their relationship. And this, this just feels so right to me. This Stargazer's Hunt feels like I want to be along for this journey. No matter how it ends up, I feel very privileged to be invited along for the journey. Again, perfectly said. I feel the exact same way. So I want to thank you again, Michael, for joining me. It really has been a treat and a pleasure to have you here with me. Really, me. <laughs> yeah, I really, really loved your insight and your ability to articulate it so clearly. Uh, it's, it's really great. So I guess next up is going to be issue number three of yeah. Stargazer's Hunt, which is going to be out on March 11th. And I don't know if that was a cat that just meowed. <laughs> That was me squeeing. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, it's funny because I don't know if you heard earlier, but uh, my dog Lucky, who likes to make appearances in the background, did earlier. So I'll just call it out. That's why I thought maybe it was a, a, a cat, but no, it was you. That's that's cool. <laughs> and and an appropriate noise in response to to Elfquest, a, a squee. But yeah, so uh, issue number three of Stargazer's Hunt is going to be out on March 11th. It's not that far away. So um, stay tuned. I hope everybody enjoyed the, this episode uh, as much as I did making it. And we'll see you next time. Shade and sweet water. Shade and sweet water, everybody. Well, that's it for another episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen. It really helps get more exposure for ElfQuest. Join the discussion about this episode and all things ElfQuest on Facebook in the ElfQuest fan group. You can also follow ElfQuest the official page there, and on Twitter, follow at ElfQuest, and Instagram, follow at ElfQuest Comics. Head to ElfQuest.com for links to all of these social media groups and to read free online comics. Get official ElfQuest merchandise, read hundreds of character bios, make your own cool ElfQuest avatar, and tons of other amazing ElfQuest stuff. ElfQuest is published by Dark Horse Comics in both print and digital editions. Visit your local comic shop or bookstore and ask for ElfQuest. Or head to digital.darkhorse.com or comicsology.com for instant downloads. Until next time, shade and sweet water. <laughs>